Time now for the Outdoor Living and Gardening Show, presented by Preston Green, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Give the show a call at 502-8150-93.9. Now, here's your host, Steve Mercer. Well, good morning, Kentuckiana. We uh, had a little few technical difficulties this morning, and we're starting a little late. We apologize for that. Um, we... Uh, Mother Nature has uh, provided us a surprise this morning, waking up to snow on the ground, and uh, it was warm last week, and it's going to be warm next week, but uh, today, <laughs> Mother Nature's uh, doing a little retro here with a little snow on the ground. Uh, uh, we've uh, uh, got several landscape projects in the works already, and uh, uh not to be deterred by a little uh, snow on the ground uh, next week by uh, it'll be warm again and we'll be out there getting a lot of landscaping done and uh, uh, i've noticed out at the farm that the maples are in bloom and uh, um, uh, so uh, looks like uh, spring is going to come early this year um, uh, so uh, Today in our outdoor living section, uh, uh, we're actually going to be uh, interviewing a, um, a gentleman uh, uh, from a company called uh, Thermahex, and uh, um, uh, he uh, uh, has a very interesting product. Uh, these are um, uh, uh, very thin, uh, about an inch thick panels that you uh, either install under a floor, it could be uh, a, an outdoor patio, it could be a driveway, it could be a, a, a deck. Uh, it could also be in the floor of your house and it can also be installed in the ceiling uh, of a room in your house. And uh, um, so uh, it's a very interesting product. It provides radiant heat and cooling and uh, uh, a very unique product in, indeed. Uh, um, uh, so uh, um, it um, uh, allows us to eliminate the duct work in a house and go strictly radiant heat and cooling. And, uh, you know, uh, duct work in a house... Uh, has several disadvantages number one it takes up lots of space in your house that you could be using for other things that are more important uh, and uh, it, it accumulates dust that has to be cleaned periodically and uh, and uh, the dust uh, is a contributor to allergies and uh, we're already um, 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 having issues in um in the ohio valley with uh with uh, allergies so uh, it uh, um, uh, is a, a great thing if we can eliminate the duct work in our house um uh, so um uh, this company has been doing this for, I don't know, more than 15, 20 years at least. 
and uh, they've they've tested this product, uh, and uh, it it really works great. Uh, some of the most famous places uh, in the country are, are using their product, and uh, uh, even the military uh, uses their product. So. Um, one of the interesting things about uh, a product like this, uh, when the panels are only an inch thick, uh, if you think about it, you know, in a high-rise building, um, uh, they, um, there's a lot of ductwork in a, in a high-rise building. And if you can eliminate all that ductwork, uh, you can pick up a, at least 20% more space in a high-rise. Now, that space is uh, very expensive, and uh, it it's uh, um, uh, it's it, it's very expensive to uh, um, to build. So, anytime we can uh, increase the space in the building without having to uh, 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 build additional space, uh, that saves. Uh, the developer a lot of money so we have uh mr uh, uh robert uh barmore on the line he's the ceo and the inventor of uh of the thermohex product and uh robert good morning good morning steve how are you uh well we're a little behind schedule this morning due to technical difficulties but uh we're uh, we're we're moving right along so uh, uh, tell me a little bit about the history of your product, uh, Drew. I mean, Ms., uh, uh, Robert. Sure. It's uh, about 15 years ago. I was uh, designing and building homes in Aspen, Colorado, and I found a need for a better way to snow melt uh, rooftop patios and that sort of thing. So I set about... Um, uh, learning about pedestal-mounted pavers for rooftop patios, but there was no way to heat or cool them. Uh, I put them on a, on my own house, and they were so hot in the summer you couldn't enjoy the patio. So while I was sitting on top of my rooftop uh, and trying to enjoy the sun with my wife, I got to thinking, how could we build a platform that could individually heat and cool these pavers on a rooftop? And it really came down to needing a, a thin, um, a thin plate that would have multiple channels through it that uh, fluid could flow through that could either bring heat to the pavers or take heat away from the pavers. And taking it away, it becomes an invisible solar collector, and putting it in, it becomes a snow melting system. And then you take that one step further and uh, figure out a way to put it into a building. Now you have an amazingly robust and um, effective radiant heating and cooling system for any structure. So it, it evolved that way. And when we first decided to do this, we had various schemes that we tried with using tubing and whatnot with pavers. And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that we needed to have two sheets of something, metal or plastic, that could be formed with tubes or tubular shapes within them. And the original uh, concept was with roll-bonded aluminum, the same process for making the, the evaporator that's in your refrigerator freezer box. Um, we went to a factory in China and had them make panels for us 
And um, that worked phenomenally, but we knew that the aluminum was probably not the best avenue to go for durability. So we shortly thereafter reinvented the products with plastic. We got together with an engineer from Dow Chemical, and uh, they were just developing a product called Hypertherm Pert Plastic. And they gave us a bunch of it to experiment with, and we figured out how to make these panels. And um, so we, we, we have a panel that has 20 channels in it and an inlet and an outlet that connects to half-inch tubing, PERT tubing, that's fusion-welded in our factory. So we build these rows of panels that are connected to fit the project, and uh, each one is labeled permanently. So if there's ever an issue, you know where to go and, and how to deal with it. And um, so that's basically how we, it has evolved. And so we spent the first 14 years selling these for all kinds of exterior applications from um, cooling patios around swimming pools at resorts to heating high-rise observation decks on the biggest high-rises in New York City and Chicago. And we're even in the North American Missile Defense System and uh, snow melting around rooftop-mounted satellite dishes that detect missiles that would come in from the North Pole. And so it's been a fascinating business for the different projects. Recently, we about a year ago, we launched the product for interior use after proving it through various applications in driveways and very extreme locations. We were confident that the product was very durable. And so now we have launched it for interior heating and cooling. And um, anybody that's knowledgeable in radiant understands that radiantly heating and cooling from the ceiling is the best option. Uh, we all know about uh, radiant floors in houses. Everybody loves the feeling of a warm floor and whatnot, but there are limits to that. Uh, you can only put so much heat into a floor before it affects the floor, that sort of thing. And it's very ineffective at cooling. When you put it in the ceiling, you are radiantly heating the entire space. And people think, well, what well, isn't all the heat at the ceiling? Why would you want to put heat at the ceiling? Well, with radiant, it's electromagnetic energy. It's light waves, essentially, that are zooming toward you at the speed of light. It's not relying on convective currents of air to move the heat to you. So you just feel comfortable. It's like when you stand outside in the winter and, and with your face toward the sun, your sun, you can burn your face in the sun. Um, in reverse for cooling, uh, if you open your refrigerator door, you feel immediately cool. And that's not because the air in the refrigerator is coming at you. It's because your heat is going to the cold. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that the heat goes to cold. And the bigger the differential in temperature, the faster that heat flows toward the cold object. So with heat in the ceiling, it just basically keeps everything comfortable. When you radiantly heat from the floor, and that's effective too in very large spaces, but typically you've got all your furniture and carpeting and different things that block that energy from getting to you in the room. So that's where the ceiling is really effective. And I think I heard you mentioning high-rises and, and the effective use of this product in a high-rise. Um, yeah, you know, if you take the two feet of plenum that a typical high-rise uses for duct work 
and shrink that, where our panel is only an inch and a half, you could take, say, 18 inches out of that plenum and have room for all your other mechanicals. You could save 20% or more of a building's volume. And what is that worth to a developer when you can add 20% more floors to a building? Or you could um, make you know better use of the space, higher ceilings, that sort of thing. So I think we're on the edge of uh, the cutting edge of the change for heating and cooling in North America and the world, and uh, we're excited about that. Um, and now that cities are very, they're encouraging people to move to electrical-based heating systems, air-to-water heat pumps and water-to-water heat pumps using geothermal energy are the future for heating and cooling. Uh, Europe has been doing this for quite a while. And uh, our system is the perfect match to those systems because we can make the best use of them. Those systems work at their highest efficiency when, the, for heating, the fluid is at the lowest temperature possible, and for cooling, when it's at the highest temperature possible. That's where you get your efficiencies. And by spreading the fluid across the entire surface, as it does in our panel, you get that highest efficiency. Whereas conventional systems that require tubes, they're, they're relying on um, fluid flowing through a tube that has to then transfer energy from the tube to aluminum of some sort and then to the surface and then out. And that's not the most efficient way to do it. It's, it's less effective. So we're excited about it. And uh, I'm glad I met you, Steve. Um, I'm excited to see what uh, people in your area can do with this. It uh, it seems to me, you know, when I first started talking to you, the you know the first law of thermodynamics, uh, you know, is telling us that heat rises and cold air sinks. So uh, when I first started talking to you about this product, you know, I was a little confused uh, uh, about you know how in the world could you. Uh, heat a room from the ceiling uh which you know most people uh you know think that that's counter to what how it works but uh uh i guess the thermal the second law of thermal dynamics is is what's kicking in here and it's what's allowing us to to be able to accomplish this you know we have some what what they call tube heaters uh out at our shop and uh, it reminds me of a similar thing with them where you know they're heating up a, a steel tube and it's the infrared light that's actually heating you so if you walk under one of those uh, one of those tube heaters why uh, uh, you feel the warmth uh, yet uh, the, the air in the room might might you know might be cold but that's not really uh it doesn't really matter because the the infrared light is you know everything that it touches it warms up so uh, this product here seems to act in a similar fashion would you agree absolutely it's the same it's infrared heaters are radiant heaters and they're just using a higher temperature because you're limited to that one tube correct so you need a a very high temperature to be effective. It's kind of like the sun. Imagine if the entire universe was a thermopanel. It could be a very low temperature and make us all comfortable, but because it's one spot of energy, the sun is tremendously hot. 
So with our panel, what we're doing is we're taking uh, the BTUs, the British Thermal Units, and we're spreading them out over a wide area. So we don't need them to be at a high temperature. We just need X amount of BTUs to get into the space to meet the X amount of BTUs that are leaving the space through the walls and the windows and, and the structure. And in reverse, for same for cooling, BTUs that are being generated by the occupants and by the sun coming into the building need to be removed. And that's where the cooling aspect of it comes in. Uh, what you had said about um, heat rising, heat doesn't rise. And, and I have to say that it's not the heat that rises, it's hot air that rises. So that, that's a convective current, right? Because hot air is lighter than cold air, so that's why it rises. But that's not how radiant works. Radiant doesn't heat the air. Radiant heats the objects in the room. Then the objects give the heat off to the air that's in touch with them through con- conduction and convection. Well, through conduction, and then they convectively move around the space because that hot air is going... Uh, toward the cold air in the room. And, you know, that's why they put, you know, baseboard heat under windows and whatnot to force that convection. Whereas with radiant, it's just, it, you just feel comfortable. It's, it's an amazing feeling. You can, if you turn it up to a higher temperature, you can actually, back in many years ago, there was a product where they put resistant wires and ceilings to create radiant energy that way. But they couldn't control it very well. So the ceilings got very hot, and people got what was called hot head. You you felt like the sun was beating down on your head all the time in those houses because they couldn't control the temperature of that ceiling very well. Whereas that with, with the Thermahex system, we can control the temperature of that ceiling. And the more panels you put in the ceiling, the lower the average temperature per square foot can be. And in reverse for cooling, the higher it can be. And that's important because if you're in a humid area, you're fighting against the dew point. If the surface gets too cold, you can get condensation on the ceiling. So what we do is we have a control system that looks at what the humidity of the space is. It looks at what the temperature of the room is. And it also looks at what the temperature of the ceiling surface is. And it will tell the heat pump to make the fluid a temperature that is above the dew point so that the ceiling can't condense, so that you don't get moisture problems. That's what uh, older systems, especially systems with tubing and aluminum, fight against because they're not as effective. They need to have very cold fluid going through that tube in order for it to absorb the energy from around it through a scheme of usually aluminum plates of some sort. And so you get this hot, cold, hot, cold between the tubes that are spread out. Whereas with our panels, we're putting a quart of fluid in each panel into 20 tubes that are actually split into 40 channels with these um, little pinch-off points called stanchions in our panels that turbulate the fluid. So that's the other aspect of our panel that's effective. As the fluid flows through our panels, it's constantly turbulated. It's like stones in a stream that are constantly churning the water. 
And when you do that, you get a much more effective transfer of energy through the surface of the panel. So that's why they're so effective. And um, it's made a huge difference in the ability to heat and cool and uh, be, you know, very effective. And then we also invented a an aluminum track system that uses clips to attach it to the overhead structure. So it's very easy to put it in. I, I love telling people about the first customer that we had for interior, which was a rancher named Stan Jensen out in central Utah. And uh, we went out there to train he and uh, his son how to put it in. His son was nine years old. And they put the whole system in together themselves. And it works phenomenally. He built a house that was a rammed earth house. So really a net zero passive house that was very efficient. And uh, his biggest problem when he first fired it up, he was running the fluid at 100 degrees. And he said, Bob, you know, the upstairs thermostats just aren't, you know, opening up. The upstairs is warm, but we're, it's not, you know, the, the valves aren't opening to engage that part of the system. And I said, well, lower your fluid to 80 degrees. And that way it would be better balanced, and he did. So he's heating his house with 80-degree fluid uh, and evenly, and uh, so his heat pump is working at its highest efficiency, and that's the beauty of the system. That's very interesting. Um, the, um, um, the applications in an ICF house would seem to be uh, even more optimum because you have – uh, uh, a much higher uh, uh, insulation factor in the in the building, so you don't require a lot of heat or cooling uh, in a in a building like that. Uh, kind of like the passive uh, uh, house that you you mentioned, and uh, um, the ability to eliminate the ductwork in an ICF house uh, uh, is, is a huge factor. Now, we, we live here in the allergy capital of the world here in the Ohio Valley. Uh, there, there's more um, um, allergy doctors per capita here than there are anywhere else in the United States. So, you know, um, the ductwork uh, in houses here uh, uh, becomes a very unhealthy issue, uh, and oh, a lot of people here, uh, you know, it just you know the allergies are already bad, and then you add this ductwork with all this dust circulating through the house, and it just makes the allergies even worse. And uh, the with an ICF house uh, with uh, with the uh, ERVs, the energy recovery ventilators, that are are um, filtering the incoming air on your air exchanges before they get in the house, uh, that system can uh, um, filter out all the pollens and stuff that's coming into the building. And then once it gets in the building, if there's no duct work, then you're not circulating dust, blowing dust around the house. It seems like uh, after, after you have a company come in and clean your duct work, uh, then... Uh, uh, within uh, uh, a short period of time, uh, you know, uh, you'll notice that, you know, you start getting dust 
you know falling on everything again and uh you know sometimes you have to go in and clean these things you know almost on a regular basis just to kind of keep the 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 dust from just blowing everywhere and uh, with a system like uh your system uh, you could eliminate a lot of those headaches for for homeowners who are having big time allergy problems. It would seem to me. Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know that there are three main things about Radiant that makes it superior to anything else. It's clean, it's quiet, and it's efficient, and it's comfortable. People don't talk about comfort enough. Find one person. That says, I love my HVAC system. I love going to the office because that air that's blowing out of that vent over my desk is so wonderful. (laughs) I just can't wait to go to work to experience what's happening at work. And then I get to go home. I was staying in my son's brand new house in Colorado over the holidays. And the the, uh, supply duct for the, the heating system, it was, you know, over the bed. And in the middle of the night, you get this puff of cold air on your face because it, the, the system has to blow the cold air out of the ductwork before the warm air gets to you, right? And same in reverse for heating, for cooling season. And then you get this, you know, horribly dry, uh, you know, just blowing hot air on your face. And then it's off. And then it's on. Then it's off. So you know when the system is running. And some people could say, well, that's just not a, you know, a well-designed system. It's typical. With our system, uh, if you use the uh, lock zone controls that we like to recommend for our system, it's a fantastic control system that's made in Austria, and it's very smart. And so it will talk to the heat pump, it'll talk to the circulator pump that circulates the fluid, and it'll talk to the zone valves that open and close each circuit. And what it, what it does is... It figures out the optimum temperature for the fluid at all times for that room to be at the set temperature that you want it to be, say 72, 73 degrees, which is a comfortable temperature for a lot of people. And and, and you'll also find that um, you don't have these broad swings. You know, people say, oh, I want my house 68 in the summer, and I want it 72 in the winter. With our system, we've found that you just set it at one temperature, and it maintains that. And you don't know if it's in heating or cooling mode. It's either heating you or cooling you, but it's maintaining that room temperature. It's amazing. Uh, you know, we have the system in our offices um, at Thermahex, and we, uh, you know, I'll take it, you know, I have a little laser gun on my desk just to, you know, always kind of check on what the system is doing. Plus, we also have readouts on screens that tell us constantly what it's doing, how many BTUs it's using per square foot per hour and that sort of thing. And um, it's fascinating to point it at the ceiling in the afternoon and say, oh, it's in cooling mode right now. The ceiling's cool. Didn't know that. Or in the morning, it'll be hot for heating. And it just switches over automatically. So that, that's the beauty of the system. You don't, you don't have to think about it. And uh, the cooling aspect and the allergens, I mean, you're right on about that. Um, You know, you're not spreading germs around the place. You're also not moving kitchen smells and whatnot around the house. Um, Or from the bathroom. It's just, (laughs) or from the bathroom, right? I mean, a good ERV system will suck the offending 
odors from the bathrooms and the kitchen and then provide fresh air into the bedrooms and pressurize the bedrooms. Um, that's a topic for a whole nother conversation, but, um, you know, it's just, it's amazing how well it works. And um, we're excited for the industry to take note and to start changing their ways. It's going to be a long slog. You know, so many people are like, well, what is the cost? And, you know, that's always an interesting conversation because our system is not inexpensive. It's probably one of the more, more expensive solutions. But when you say expensive, what are you talking about expensive? Is your countertop expensive? Did you put a granite countertop in versus a Formica or a laminate countertop? Well, was that expensive? Or was it the current trend and the current, you know, that's people have gotten used to. I mean, you look at just, at least around where I live, there isn't a condominium that's being built right now or an apartment house that doesn't have granite countertops. You know, at the low end of the market, they all have granite countertops. So it's a matter of choice for people, correct? And so when we talk to people about their heating systems, why would you want to put the cheapest solution in for the most important part of your home? Your heating and cooling system and your ventilation system is the heart and the arteries of your house, right? I mean, it's the engine that drives your house. And so many people in North America unfortunately have been um, indoctrinated into, let's make that, that's got to be as inexpensive as possible. Do you go to the electrician and say, put the cheapest wire in my house? Do you, you know, go to your foundation guy and say, no, I want the cheap concrete. I don't want the good concrete because I'm not going to see it. It's the same thing with heating and cooling. We need to people need to just change their priorities for what's important to them i know uh most of the houses around here uh are either using electric or gas heat uh and 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 ductwork for their air conditioning and uh, it seems like uh we just get a lot more um illness in the winter time and um I, i sometimes wonder like uh, in, in a house where you have gas heat, it seems like the floors are always cold and drafty. And uh, the the other thing is is that uh, it seems like uh, your your nasal passages just dry out in the wintertime and they become sure. more susceptible to these viruses and whatnot because of it. Now, I don't have any scientific proof of that, but I have noticed, and I think pretty much everybody else has, it's, it just seems like that in wintertime, we just have more viruses and whatnot circulating around. And I have to wonder if uh, part of that's not because, you know, these heating systems are drying out our nasal passageways and making oh, them more, more susceptible to virus uh, infection. And uh, I think a system like this would completely uh, change the game when it comes to that type of, uh, uh, of problem. And uh, during the pandemic, it was even more of a problem. And uh, I suspect now that, uh, that, that uh, we've gone through this pandemic 
pandemic that uh, like in restaurants and whatnot, systems like this are going to become a lot more prevalent because you're not spreading uh, viruses around near as bad because you're not blowing uh, the air from your neighbor's space over onto your space. No, you're absolutely right about that. You know, I when when we moved from the East Coast to to Colorado, we moved to Telluride originally, and Telluride is at about um, 8,500 feet uh, at Main Street, and it's known for being you know the air is very dry at that altitude, and it's known for being the strep throat capital of the world because that dry air combined with a virulent strain of of strep. Everybody gets strep there, and or at least that was our experience. Between my two sons and I, we lived there for about 15 months. One of us always had strep. And then we moved over to the um, Aspen, Colorado uh, region, which is a little lower, and it's not a box-end canyon, and it stopped. Um, so there's absolute truth to that. Plus, we were in a house that had a conventional HVAC system in it, and it did not have a humidifier in that system. So if you have an HVAC system, you need to have a humidifier. But when, when you put an HVAC system that's you know heating up the air and then you're dumping moisture into that air, if there's anything in that ductwork that's nasty, what's going to happen to that to those viruses that's in that ductwork? Going to grow. Going to grow. Yeah, it's going to grow. So, by having a highly efficient uh, ERV system, and we love the Build Equinox CERV number two system. It's I'll give them a plug while we're talking about that. They're they're made in Michigan. Um, I would encourage everybody to look up Build Equinox. It's the it's the cutting edge in ERV systems, and um, you know, so you can combine a humidifier a dehumidifier and the ERV together to have the optimum air quality component of your home combined with the radiant heating and cooling, uh, you'll have a house that's just unbelievably comfortable. It's not cheap, but again, it's a matter of where you put your priorities. And you just need to, if, if somebody is building an ICF home and they're building a passive house, they're already, they've decided to uh, spend extra money to have a high-performing home, correct? You don't go and build an ICF home if you don't want a high-performing home. If you're building an ICF home, you're probably buying very high-performing windows. Um, the, the entire aspect of the home is about high-performance. So you need a high-performance heating and cooling system. If you're building a tract house just to turn a quick profit, then no, you're probably not going to put this kind of system in, and you're probably not going to build a, an ICF home either. And uh, unless you know that your clientele is discerning and, and wants the best. So uh, go, going back to the ICFs and how it all works as well, it's interesting, Steve, that one thing we found, especially with the, the rancher in Utah that built the rammed earth house, his first-story walls were an inner and an hour inner and outer rammed earth wall, all right? They take um, the local soils, they mix it with some cement, and they hand compact it into forms to create these really beautiful walls. They just look, they look like canyon walls, if you can imagine that with striations and whatnot in them. 
And the idea is that you're going to have this mass. In between those walls, they fill it with insulation. By the time he got to the top of the first floor, he, he needed to speed things up. So he, for the second floor walls, he built uh, double-framed walls that were 19 inches apart and filled that with insulation. So he had 19-inch thick walls filled with fiberglass insulation. When he first turned our system on, the the um, the upstairs heated up immediately, and the downstairs took longer to heat up because that thermal mass of the walls needed to absorb the energy and get up to temperature. With an ICF home, the mass is on the other side of the insulation, right? And so you don't have to do that with the ICF home. So I would imagine the ICF home is going to heat up and respond to the heating system much more quickly. You know, the beauty of our system is each panel has a quart of fluid in it, and that means that your entire ceiling is a movable mass. When the pump comes on and circulates the fluid, that mass is coming and going from the ceiling constantly. So as the room has different needs or gets different loads put upon it, somebody opens a door, a window, the weather changes, the sun comes around the side of the house, whatever, that system can respond almost immediately to that, and it doesn't take a long time for it to change. When I was building houses in Aspen, Colorado, we would do, you know, PEX tubing in, uh, you know, a skinny concrete floor, basically inch-and-a-half concrete poured over PEX tubes or PEX tubes in the lower-level slab, that type of thing. Those took hours, if not days, to change temperature. I'll never forget the first first time I heard of one customer. He let the house uh, be used by some guests that just came in from out of town. And the house, I think, had been set down to probably 60 degrees or something. And it was wintertime. And they get in the house, and nobody turned the heat up for them. So they get in the house, and of course they just crank the thermostats to 90. They don't crank them up to 70, they crank them up to 90. And then they go to bed, and they wake up in the morning dying because the house has now got up to temperature and is way overheated. And they turn the thermostats down, but the temperature doesn't immediately go down, so they have to open all the windows in the middle of the winter. And so for the few days that they were there, they were constantly opening and closing the windows to manage the temperature of the house because they were too impatient to let the slabs reach the proper temperature. That won't happen with our system. It's You turn the thermostat up, and 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, the room's at the temperature you want it at. And if for some reason you need it to be at a temperature faster, you know, say there's a particular load on a part of you know one of the rooms caused by a door being open, a window being open, whatever, we, we In the program that we use with Loxone, we created what we call the beast mode, where it'll tell the heat pump and the circulator pump and the mixing valve to be full open, full on, full temperature to get any area that is outside of two degrees of the set temperature to get it to that set temperature quickly. And then it'll go back into eco mode immediately. And then the other rooms that would also be affected by that, their zone valves just simply manage the temperature of that room by themselves. But if you do have a space that needs to get up to temperature quickly, you can trick the system into going into this beast mode to get it done quickly. 
So it's very flexible. My uh, my house, uh, um, the the master bedroom in my house is always cold in the uh, in the winter and hot in the summer. And uh, you know, uh, there's no individual temperature control in, in the house. And so, if we had a system, you know, that you know knew what the temperature was in the room and controlled that uh, temperature in that room individually. Uh, it would be a lot more comfortable in, in our own house. So I've I've actually lived that problem myself, and and of course the cold, drafty floors are always a, a, an issue, and uh, 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 that's one of the reasons why people in the, in past have liked radiant heat uh, in the floor because uh, your your floors aren't that cold, drafty floor anymore. But uh, you know, I suspect that uh, a system like yours is—you're not going to have that cold, drafty floor anyway, and uh, and so uh, it, I feel like it's a, a much superior heating system. And one other thing I wanted to talk about is—is is, you know, there are people out there that are using uh, alternative energy, whether that be a, a geothermal system, or they might have an outdoor wood stove and they're pumping hot water into the building in, in the uh, in the winter and uh, how do those systems integrate uh, or maybe they have a hot water solar system uh, on the roof of their house how are those systems uh, uh, able to integrate with your system uh, well that's interesting uh, there are all kinds of schemes for getting energy from wherever you get it and you can take any energy source and get it into our system you can also take any energy system and get the energy out of the house and and get rid of it somehow right so if you say if you've got um the beauty of heat pumps is they're electric and so if you've got solar you can run the heat pump on electric from the solar and or from the grid if you've got thermal solar and you know as you know you can have thermal solar combined with pv solar to make them more efficient uh we have a customer in, in boston that snow melts his driveway using that and um that that thermal energy can be stored in a storage tank or a buffer tank uh, the way we design our systems is you'll have the heat pump that feeds fluid into or, or either cools or heats the fluid in a buffer tank that is between the heat pump which is outside typically and the buffer tank which would be in your mechanical room and then the manifolds that distribute this energy to and from the panels and so whether you're feeding that with thermal solar or powering the heat pump with uh, PV solar electricity uh, that all works we even have a gentleman out in Idaho that has a ranch where he has the fortunate uh, benefit of having a hot water spring well. He drilled a well that puts out 98 degree fluid uh, at a very high rate. And he also has another well that's a cold well that puts out 55 degree water. Wow. And out, out there, the state encourages you to utilize those as long as they go directly into your house and then back out into the environment and gets dumped. So what he came to us for 
is to put our system in, because our system works optimally in a very well-insulated building. 98 degrees is should be more than enough to heat a building, and 55 degrees should be more than enough to cool the building. So he's got the perfect combination. So we figured out a way to capture that water, bring it through a heat exchanger for both of them using like a Y valve between them, whether you're in heating or cooling mode. And it, it, uh, that fluid is going to go through that heat exchanger and, that, and thus heat or cool the building as needed. And then the water, as, as, after it goes through the heat exchanger, gets dumped into a, a pond where his cattle um, you know, get their water from. And so that pond will stay in the winter. It will stay unfrozen because he's dumping hot water into it. And then that goes back down into the aquifer. So it's a perfect cycle uh, using, um, you know, the geological benefits of his area. Well, and this system's not just for your uh, inside your house. I mean, you could put it on a deck. Uh, you could put it uh, on a patio. Yeah. You could put it around a pool deck. Uh, you could even use it in your pool. Uh, we we like to use radiant heat in the floor of our pool. Uh, we feel like that uh, that's a much more intelligent way to heat a pool than squirting hot water into the pool, you know, 16 inches or 18 inches from the water surface because most of that heat immediately just rises up to the surface and, and, and is gone out of the pool by putting that heat in, you know, at the floor level, we're heating the whole column of water rather than just, you know, the top 18 inches of the water. So it yeah. seems to me like that if you put a system like this in, that uh, it becomes a lot more versatile for not only inside the house, but outside the house as well. You're, you're absolutely right. And I'm surprised more pool builders haven't done something like that. We had one customer put our panels in a rack that got suspended down into the pool to utilize geothermal energy from the pool during the winter when they weren't using it for swimming. Um, you know, it seemed like a kind of an awkward way to get geothermal energy, but he was a tinkerer and liked to do those kind of things. But, um, no, we got our start by putting our panels uh, outside for either heating or cooling patios. Uh, one of our very first projects was for Gateway Canyons Resort in southwest Colorado, which is a beautiful resort with a car museum. It was owned by the founder of the Discovery Channel. And I had met his engineers um, at a trade show, and they, you know, when we were first starting out, we didn't, we didn't even have panels in stock yet. And uh, I showed these engineers a prototype, and a year later I got a call, and they said, hey, yeah, we've, we've got this huge project, but we need your panels to be under the patio or around the pools because we need to heat the pools with solar, but we don't want to see solar panels. So that was the birth of the invisible, the invisible solar collector. So our panels are in a 10,000-foot freeform patio with pavers around two freeform pools with waterfalls and a spa as well. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enormous complex. And... The pool that they had previously at the hotel at this resort, they had a propane farm because it's in the middle of nowhere in Colorado. 
it, they have a propane farm that was heating the pool all summer long, but the patio was so hot, nobody could use it. The patio is 185 degrees on their typical 100-degree day in the summer. Wow. And nobody would use the pool, but they're paying all this propane in this remote location to heat the pool. So when they designed the new pool area with these beautiful uh, um, pools and spas, and um, they had log palapas everywhere in a little restaurant, and um, so we put our panels in under that patio, and it works phenomenally. Um, and that was many years ago. That was almost 14 years ago. And uh, it we reduced that 185 degree patio down to about, depending on what they could, the pools could take for energy, down to about 127, 130 degrees. Now, that still sounds kind of hot, but compared to 185, which is third degree burn territory, it made it where you could walk across the patio and get in the pool without burning your feet. And um, and it also, because there was so much residual energy, even at 130 degrees, it would heat the pools all night long. It would keep the spot 104 degrees all night long. Uh, they made a comment that one of their only expenses in the beginning was having to have the, the pool control guys come out from Denver to find out why the, the pool heaters were never turning on. There, was, <laughs> there were no hours on the pool heaters. <laughs> Well, so I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, well, that's a terrible problem for any uh, property owner to have is is that uh, you know the the pool is comfortable and they don't and they're not using propane to heat their their pools. <laughs> yeah, that that's a real terrible problem to have. Um, and exactly. uh, so so like I say, I, I kind of feel like that uh, that Radiant has a strong future in pools. You know, the the problem we have in the pool industry is is really the pool industry is stuck in about 1980. And uh, there's been so much technology that's come along. And, and most pool builders, they go with what they know. I find that to be true of builders. You know, if a builder is used to building oh, yeah. wood, wood frame houses, uh, they're not interested in learning anything new. That's what they're going to build. They're going to build wood frame houses. And uh, we, we see a lot of um, uh, a blowback from that. So if we have a customer that's interested in an ICF house, uh, invariably sometime during the sales cycle, there'll be a, a, a builder that's building wood frame houses that's whispering in their ear all sorts of disinformation to try to confuse them and get them not to build that ICF house. Well, that's a bad idea. I, you know, uh, I was in a social media group uh, last week and there was this guy from Northern Idaho and he's like, you know, looking at an ICF house and, and he's got this engineer, this local engineer saying, that's a horrible idea you know icf is just not made for for our kind of weather here and and i commented back and i said what well, does you that know, even mean <laughs> well i don't know what i mean, even mean uh, well i mean you know so i i very casually commented back i said well you know the number one market for icf in north america is canada and the reason it's the number one market is because it's bitter cold up there in the wintertime 
time. And so, you know, being able to have a well-insulated house and being able to afford to heat that is really important up in that neck of the woods. And I really don't see that being any different in northern Idaho than it is in Canada, which is, you know, not too far from the border from Canada. So, uh, you know, we see a lot of disinformation of people who they're not really telling you uh the the truth they're telling you what you you know what they want you to hear because they have a, a, a an interest in selling you a product uh that's different than what you're looking at and uh unfortunately um uh, you know uh salespeople sometimes uh, bend the truth in order to get uh and get you to to purchase a product now you know, I kind of feel like uh, I, I I'll go for the products that you know just deliver and uh, let the product speak for itself. And uh, I kind of feel like a product like yours is 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 does exactly that. And I feel ICF is the same way. You know, uh, an ICF house is a high performance house, and uh, it's going to say you know it's going to protect your family from the 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 weather whether it be you know violent weather or whether it just be you know cold or 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 hot weather or both now that brings up an interesting thing and that is is we live in a transitional weather pattern now uh today the high is supposed to be 35 next week the high is going to be almost 60 several days and so it's not uncommon for it to be 20 25 degrees in the morning and 50 55 degrees in the afternoon and if you have a conventional heating system your your heating system is bouncing up and down all day long and and working hard just trying to keep up and the beauty of that thermal mass whether it be from uh, uh, your system or in combination with an icf house uh, that system knocks off those highs and lows and 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 so it doesn't work your heating or your cooling system near as bad as uh, a conventional heating and, and cooling system that's my observation i think you're absolutely right that's the beauty of the ics is they're very tight right there's no place for air infiltration you're going to control the air through your erv system so that's completely under control and, uh, you know, an example, our offices right now here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, we're in a 40-year-old industrial complex where we have, um, you know, masonry front walls that are barely insulated. And I mean barely. That They've got, I think, three-quarter-inch Dow styrofoam under the sheetrock on the cement block and big windows. And um, so it's the perfect test bed for our system to see how it can deal with that. Even our front door is a typical storefront door where it's single pane glass. And so our system, as the sun comes around our building, uh, you know, in the morning we're facing um, kind of northwest. And as the sun comes around in the afternoon, we're, you know, we're heating in the morning. And as soon as that sun hits that front concrete wall with no insulation on it, the offices immediately can can feel that that temperature change with, with our old HVAC system. Once we put the thermohex system into our building, we just don't even notice it anymore. It just it, it the system manages it. It's we're still having those those heat losses and heat gains, 
That hasn't changed. We haven't made the building any more energy efficient because we don't own the building. But it's uh, the system manages it so much better. And, uh, and all the people in the offices are so much happier with this system versus everybody hated the ducted system. Everybody. I mean, it was just awful. And, um, yeah, I just hear that from, you know, all of our customers that they're sick of, you know, noisy, uh, air flowing, feeling the air flowing all the time. Um, you know, when you're, when you're blowing air to heat you and you have the wind chill effect of even hot air blowing against you when you say drafty floors, well, why is a floor drafty? It's because the ductwork that's blowing the air in the room is moving the cold air around and you're feeling that as the draft. Um, getting back to the idea of radiantly heating the floors, you know, a warm floor is wonderful, but you can only heat it up to about 86 degrees before it starts to really affect the wood if you have a wood floor. Whether it's manufactured wood or a natural wood floor, it affects it. And so what happens with our system is if, if the ceiling is heating somewhere between you know 80 and and 100 degrees depending on what the situation is the room the surfaces in the room the top of your furniture is going to be the temperature of the room typically sometimes maybe a degree or two above the temperature of the room uh, the floor will typically be the temperature of the room or within a degree or up or down of the, the room temperature. So you're not going to have that 89 degree or 86 degree feeling on your feet of the floor. Now, when somebody comes to us and they have double height uh, ceilings, you know, a 20 soaring 20 foot ceiling or 24 foot ceiling in their bedroom or their living room or whatever, then we would say, yeah, let's put some radiant in the floor as well. And there's a couple of ways that our panels can be put into that floor and and also in the ceiling. So you're radiantly heating from both areas. And the benefit of that is you're, you have X amount of volume. If that area had been split into two floors, you'd have them in the ceiling of, of both floors. Um, but to, to maintain a temperature in a large volume, you're going to need more capacity right so that's where you could have the benefit of it being in the floor and there's various ways of doing that and um, sometimes to save money you know in a basement we'll say fine just put tubing in the concrete slab in the basement and just keep that at a set temperature um, they can save money by doing that or if they want to do it what we would call the right way put it in the ceiling and control it just like any other room in the house the uh, the thing that I don't like about ra- radiant heat uh, underneath concrete uh, in a floor is, uh, you know, this PEX tubing, I think, you know, they rated it about 50 years or whatever. And eventually uh, you're going to have problems and you're going to have to work on it. And and so mm-hmm. if you have to work on that and and uh, and it's underneath the concrete floor, they're going to be in there with a jackhammer busting up your floor to get down there to work on it. And that's really not a good thing and uh you know an icf house can last you know 
at least a hundred years, if not a lot more. And so, less than definitely. And, and, and so, you know, if if we're able to put a radiant heat system on top of whatever your subfloor is, uh, if you need to do service work on it. Uh, you know, yeah, you got to pull up, you know, your finished floor, but it's not like you're in there with a jackhammer busting out the concrete trying to get to the the radiant system to to like uh, to fix it. Now, I know a lot of people that have been faced with that. Rather than busting up the floor, then they'll come in and put one of those wired systems in to you know on top of the floor and just kind of abandon the the radiant that's in the floor. And uh, and so if you look at it from that perspective, you know, by putting a product like yours in to begin with, you know, you can avoid a lot of those headaches right up front. And if you do have to go in and bust all that out, uh, you know, in order to fix it or to put in a second system, I suspect you're going to be very close to the price of, of your system to begin with. You know, it, it sometimes, you know, uh, being penny wise and pound foolish is not a good idea. You know, going in and, uh, you know, if you can go in and eliminate the ductwork in your house and, and put in a system that you you know that you can service when you need to then uh, uh, and you don't have to put in a second system down the road uh, then you're already at the price of of what you know a system like yours would cost yeah and with electric um, you know with any kind of electric resistant product your basic your your coefficients of performance is one right you're, for every kilowatt of energy you're putting into it, you're getting a kilowatt of water of energy out. When you use an air-to-water or water-to-water heat pump, you're going to get a coefficient of performance of four or five. So for every kilowatt of energy that you put in, you're getting four to five kilowatts of energy out of that system because it's it's using the energy that's already in the air. Even when it's 20 degrees out, there is heat in that air anything above absolute zero there's heat in the air and these these heat pumps are the technology is getting better every year and being capable of getting energy out of colder and colder and colder air that's why they're using them up in canada there are systems up in canada as well and um so you want to choose a heat pump that is geared toward your environment you know a heat pump that would be geared toward um, up in Canada with a higher percentage of, of cold days in Canada, really cold days in Canada, you're going to gear a heat pump to be efficient at those temperatures. Whereas if you're in, you know, Louisville, and I think I said that right, didn't I? Yeah. Good. So uh, if you're in Louisville, you're going to want a heat pump that's geared for middle America and uh, that's why we, we love uh, working with a company called Chiltrix. Um, they manufacture a very high-quality air-to-water heat pump, and, it's, and they're, they have the highest efficiency of all of them because it's geared toward middle America and the, the typical climate zones that, you know, um, the USA has. I know, um, I know in our system at home... Um I know this because uh, we have a 20 kW generator uh, outside, so we we live 
you know, a mile off the road on a little one lane county road where the only people that live back there on the farm. And when an ice storm comes along, you know, it might be two weeks before the city gets around or the county gets around to coming back in there to try to try to get us to where we can get in and out of there. And so we're on all electric heat there. And uh, when that happens, uh, we're just sitting there staring at each other in the cold with no with no no power. And so we went to this uh, 20kW generator. Well, uh, when when the temperature drops below 20 degrees, uh, all of a sudden the heat pump doesn't work anymore and they have these big electric strips in, in, in the furnace. And when those suckers kick on, uh, uh, I mean, it's all that 20kW generator can do uh, uh, to, to supply enough energy to run those strips. And, and so mm-hmm. it's very difficult to, to heat the house and keep it up to temperature uh, when, when those heat strips kick on. So I've seen that problem. And I don't know if, if you know, having a, 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 a different heat pump uh, would help that situation, but I have noticed that uh, uh, that you know as soon as that temperature gets down below twenty, all of a sudden uh, my electric bill goes crazy. And, uh, right. and, and is that an air? To, that's an air to air heat pump. No, yeah, that's the air to air heat pump. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So now you're using uh, heat strips to heat air. And uh, so you need to, you know, the density of the air, you know, that's a big problem with that. Uh, A gallon of water holds 300 times more energy than a gallon of air. So you need 300 gallons of air to distribute the same amount of energy a gallon of water will distribute. Wow. And then when we distribute that water, we're spreading it throughout the entire surface of the panel not just on a tube that then has to uh, get a little bit tech here. When fluid flows through a tube, it's usually laminar flow. Laminar meaning it's not turbulating in there. It's just going straight through like when you have a garden hose and a nice clean stream of water shoots out that hose and it's not all bubbly, okay? That's laminar flow. There's a thing called perimeter effect. And the molecules of the water at the perimeter of the inside of that hose or tube resists the flow of energy outward. The energy wants to stay in the core of the fluid going through. So you have to pump it more. You either have to pump the fluid through at a high rate of velocity in order for it to um, turbulate from friction on the walls of the tube, or you're just going to get laminar flow. So that's why with our panels, we created these channels that have these little stanchions throughout the channel that it's like a little boulder in a stream where the fluid has to flow around it, and it creates this turbulence. And so uh, it's our understanding that you get about 30, 30% more heat transfer through the surface by doing that. Wow. And, uh, it, yeah, it's phenomenal how well it works. That's why we can change the temperature of an area so quickly Aluminum can't do that. You know, when you're you're fighting the perimeter effect with tubing and radiant, you're then fighting the the ability for whatever that tube is connected to to transfer the energy laterally between the tubes and then into the surface that that's all connected to. 
And, um, yeah, they work, but do they work as efficiently, right? I mean, all radiant works, but it's a matter of making it work efficiently and being able to adjust quickly to the conditions. And uh, the beauty of what some of the newer technology that now with our product, it's older technology. We went from tubes and concrete slabs to tubes in, um, you know, wood boards or, you know, like plywood that was routed out that's coated in aluminum and the tubing is, you know, snapped into those channels and then you put your floor over it. So you're relying on that fluid to get energy out through the tube into the aluminum foil that's on the plywood and then across the floor. And, you know, those warm floors, uh, they work. They can't really effectively cool, but... The thinner the aluminum is, the harder it is for it to transfer that energy evenly. So you'll feel hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold across the floor. And, um, you know, now with our system, you don't have that. And if you put our system in a floor, there's a couple of ways of doing it. You can take our full-size panels and put them on top of the subfloor and then put um, this... Exacore, or um, what was the? You actually brought that up. It was um, magnesium oxide. Magnesium oxide. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. And so, magnesium oxide panels, which are very dense, right? And so they're going to transfer energy beautifully. So we are designing houses where we put that on the floor instead of plywood with our panels underneath it, so that that transfers the energy again through a thin thermal mass. It's still thermal mass, which transfers the energy nicely, but it's thin. So if the temperature has to change, it's going to change much uh, much more quickly. Let me give you another example of how energy flows. This was a fascinating one. We, we uh, took a couple of flux sensors. Flux sensors are these little four-inch square plastic uh, sensors that sense the flow of energy through a surface and they also have a temperature sensor in there to temp to detect the temperature of the surface and we put these in uh, one of our zones where we put one uh, stuck to the ceiling on the where the first panel in a row is and across the room where the last panel in a circuit is and so we knew what the delta T or difference in temperature from the first panel in and then the last panel out. And, and then we also suspended a sensor just to t- sense the temperature in the dead center of the, in the room in the air. All this tied to a computer with a data collector. And the first one, the first inlet one, was right over the entrance door to this particular office. And the gentleman that's in that office goes out for lunch and we found that when he came back in the winter after lunch and walked into the room the graph on the computer showing the energy use and the energy use it looked like a heartbeat basically where the zone valves were opening closing opening and closing opening and closing but the temperature of the room and the temperature of the ceilings were all dead even right well the temperature of the ceilings would go up and down a little bit but the temperature in the room would be just a, like a straight line. And when he'd walk into the room after being outside in the ice cold, there would be an enormous spike of energy 
transferring through that heat flux sensor right over his head as he walked into the room. Wow. It would just shoot right up. And, and what it was was second law of thermodynamics. Heat flows to cold, and the bigger the differential in those two temperatures, the faster the heat will flow. Now, our system wasn't turning on, um, you know, the circulator wasn't, you know, increasing the speed of the circulator, increasing the temperature of the fluid. It was just the energy stored in the water in our panels and the heat that was in the sheetrock, right? Because that sheetrock's all that's at a certain temperature. And, And because the room temperature was close to that ceiling temperature, that delta T was low. So the energy is just maintaining the load on the room. Until Jeff walked into the office, he now introduced a new load into the room, and we could see, it was clear as a bell, a big spike of energy flowing to him, just through that sensor, right to him, because this cold object's right there. Right, so the he's coming sensor, in, he's coming side. in, he's coming in with, with, you know, from the cold outside, so he's cold. And as soon as he walks in the room, why? But he feels immediately warmer just because that energy is flowing directly to him. So, I mean, in in the end, what that translates to is uh, more comfort. Exactly. But it also is it was a fascinating illustration of the science behind radiant energy. Right. The other sensor at the other end of the room, which is only twelve feet away. Because these are just little four-foot plates, four feet away. So the, the radiant shadow of what's coming through that plate is only so big. The one at the other end of the room where he wasn't standing didn't budge. Yeah. Right? So the graph didn't budge on that one. It didn't see a load there. It just saw the load right at where Jeff was standing. And so that's just an example of how the... Radiant energy is works at the speed of light, and that's what we were seeing on the graph. Well, it's it's a very interesting product, uh, 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 and uh, we we look forward to, to getting some experience with that product. Uh, you know, I, I would sum up everything by saying that uh, you know, uh, just like in an ICF house. You know, you have, you know, uh, I always ask my customers, what price do you put on the value of your cust- of your family's safety, their health and their financial well-being? And and probably uh, if we start using these uh, these type systems in our houses, I probably will add comfort uh, to that equation because uh in the end you end up with a more comfortable house using this type of a of a heating and cooling system absolutely comfort is the number one thing whether it's the comfort in uh, not getting sick from bad air or drying out your sinuses or or just being too cold or too hot uh, it's all about the comfort. That's why we do it. That's why we build a home. That's why we decorate a home to make ourselves comfortable. And uh, too many uh, HVAC engineers just think about, am I going to match the load? Well, it's no. Think about the comfort level. What is this going to do for us? It's the heart and soul. It's the circulatory system of your house. And people 
should really change how they think about that. People have gotten used to just being uncomfortable. Yeah. Your your classic example when you talk about your bedroom and your home and how uncomfortable it is and it's just you know it's terrible that our country has done it that way and uh you know now we have the technology to change that yeah they they, they sell a lot of electric focus. blankets and, and and whatnot just just right. to to like uh make up for the uncomfortable spots in the house so uh i'm a firm believer if you use the right tool uh the job gets done a whole lot better and uh this is a perfect example of that if you use the right system then and, you know, you'll experience comfort like you've not experienced it before. And uh, right. so we want to thank you for, for um, stopping in and talking to us about your product today. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great product that I hope customers will, will uh, set up and take notice of. Uh, I think it's a worthy expense uh, in a house. Uh, and uh, and uh, I look forward to working with it. Well, I look forward to working with you, too, and uh, hopefully some of your constituents out there. And um, just let everybody know that uh, you can find us at uh, thermahex.com. Thermahex is spelled T-H-E-R-M-A, just therma, and then a hyphen H-E-X-X dot com. If you misspell it, you'll still find us. And uh, we have lots of examples of uh, how the system is used for interior and exterior. And uh, we look forward to hearing from some people from the Louisville area. We thank you for your time today, Robert. Thank you, Steve. Take care. Well, we want to thank you today for for um, uh, um, stopping in and listening to our show today. I, I hope you've found some information that will help uh, uh, in your your home and uh if you'd like more information about that uh you can call uh, robert at thermahex or you can give us a call uh, we'd ha- we'd be happy to help you uh uh with that uh uh issue and uh um we look forward to talking to you next week uh, we're still doing lots of landscape projects uh, keep us in mind uh have a great week louisville